I've seen e-commerce done extremely well. Like think of a Peloton, for example, the way they've designed their funnel, the retention they have with clients. It's not just one-off transactions. Like once you have a membership and you buy that bike, they literally have you forever because you're not going to stop paying a $12 membership once you've already invested $1,000 in a bike. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? In today's episode, I forced my business partner to sit down and do a live idea brainstorm with me. In it, we talk about our framework for coming up with startup ideas, and we get pretty specific on roll-up business model ideas that we like, when to buy versus build a startup, startup ideas around having exclusive inventory, the rise of AI and how that's going to go into different industries and startups we like around that space, why we're hesitant on e-commerce, but the D2C brands we would start if we were doing something today. We talk about productized services and more. So hopefully you get something out of it. Sweet. Jonathan, I think you need to introduce yourself. I'll take a crack at it for you. So you are my business partner. You are the COO and you are the person that makes everything happen. Basically, if you went away, the whole company would collapse. Is that a fair assessment? That's what I tell my uh, entire family. Yeah, it's like, I'm the one with the growth that's keeping everything running. Yeah, perfect. I'm too humble to introduce myself like that, but I am the COO, obviously spending most of my time on the CRO on-site optimization stuff that we do, trying to build the systems so that we can have a life outside of client work that's successful, I'd say 90% of the time, <laughs> remaining 10% of the time we're like putting out fires. But yeah, that's that's pretty much how I would introduce myself. We together kind of run Growth Hit, which is an outsourced head of growth, kind of growth marketing agency where we do a lot in CRO and in Facebook ads. But our, our true goal and passion is like, we're trying to build this rock star growth team. And we actually do like most of our clients. And so it's fun to grow their products. But honestly, we want to own our own companies and basically take our growth team and point them at our own venture. So to kick that off, you and I, in our unfortunately limited spare time, we have something called HitLab Ventures. And we essentially are like, okay, we've got this good growth team. In which direction do we point them? And so you and I have done a fun task of every week, we come together and basically hash on some half-baked startup ideas. And I think sometimes they're fun conversations. Sometimes, usually it's because of me, there's some really bad ideas, but we thought we would record the conversation and just kind of go through, basically, we kind of started a 30,000 foot view, kind of like a macro perspective, like, okay, here's trends and categories we're excited about. And if we're both into it, we'll kind of dive in and get into the details. And so would you say that's a fair assessment of our, our hit lab calls? Yeah, I would agree. And uh, do you actually want to start in going into the different categories that we've thought up or how do you want to approach this? Yeah, let's do it. And and one thing that I like to do like with these ideas is I kind of, I have like two frameworks for it. One is let's act like every idea is brilliant. And like, if it's brilliant, what has to happen for it to work? Because I think that's kind of fun. But then the antithesis is if we like something, then let's go the opposite and talk about all the reasons why it would fail. And I mean, we don't have to do that with every idea, but that's kind of the lens I like to do with these. But yeah, let's get into it. What ideas do you have? Kick it off. So I was actually, again, like thinking in like broad categories, like what are the things that we're excited about? What are the things we think we would want to be spending, I'd say the better part of our best working years? So like, the big categories I have, let me just start with the one that I think that I'm really 
most excited about. And that's a roll up. A roll up really means like you take your skills and you master one vertical, one industry, one niche, one product or service, and you become very good at it. And you use that advantage, the know-how, the IP, whatever else, the operations and systems that you built running that, and then acquire companies that are either in that space or adjacent to that, and just roll it up, essentially acquiring companies so that you can build something bigger. And as you build something bigger, this is actually something similar to what like larger, like private equity type, which call companies employees, just you, there's some efficiencies that you gain by rolling up the company. Like if you have like 10 Shopify apps, you can use the same developers to maintain all of them. You could use the same efforts. You could do cross marketing, cross selling, and just the benefits begin to accrue very quickly as you roll up. So that's the broad category. But within that, there are different company types that we've been thinking about for a while. So the one is exclusive content behind a paywall. Uh, we've like talked about content for a very long time. There are companies that were inspired by take uh, trends, actually the hustle that's behind it in the team. But Crunchbase, the information, the reason this kind of content works is because it's very exclusive. It targets a specific demographic. The information behind the paywall quite literally doesn't exist anywhere else. So you're catering to this crowd. They're like very loyal. The retention is super high and you can definitely charge a ton of money for it because the information doesn't exist anywhere. It's being either curated or created from scratch by that company. So essentially the strategy here is rolling up like the essentially the content behind a paywall. So you start with a small company and then try to find either adjacent content or even like build some from scratch if you need to. But it's just rolling it up so that you have something larger uh, and more efficiently run. Yeah. So I, I love this idea of a roll up because you're really maximizing the strengths and the skills you have. So like, I know we're getting to a examples like the Shopify app one makes total sense. If you understand how to launch, market, optimize, and grow a Shopify app, instead of putting all that energy on one, if you can get five that are all somewhat related. I know like some other like non-sexy industry categories, like we see this with people like in the storage space, like literally like physical storage units where they're trying to acquire real estate assets in storage and just like, you know, build a massive portfolio similar to the private equity model, which I think is super interesting. What else? What other categories should we be thinking about rolling up? I do think that the paywall, like I'm kind of obsessed with that idea right now. I know it's a hot thing. I know newsletters are very much back in vogue, paid newsletters. You've got Substack. And one thing that you and I have seen is like the newsletters, if you go B2C, it's so much harder to really monetize, which is kind of surprising. If you go B2B and if you have an audience that has a very, very high value to specific brands, and companies and services, you can actually get a lot of money for people to get those eyeballs. And so that's something that you and I have talked about because you bring up trends and crunch base and the information. Those are ones that they're B2B, they own a niche, but that niche is very, very valuable. So it's also like, what are those other niches that could be monetized? But the other thing that I think you and I go back and forth on is like, okay, what if we did that for, I don't know, like cloud-based computing or something where maybe there's the high LTV, but the problem is, is that something you and I are actually passionate about and excited to do? So it's kind of wanting to strike that balance. But no, I love the idea of roll-ups. 
Yeah, and actually one other, like, uh, I think a way to think about this is you can build new products for your existing customers or you can acquire new products for those customers. And those products that you acquire are usually proven in the market and you know they serve the needs of your existing customers. So think of it this way, like a good example is probably Atlassian. That's the company behind Jira and a few other project management software. They also bought Trello, actually, I think within the last year or something like that. So they know their customer. Their customer is like a project manager, uh, someone in a software space. So they're buying products or actually building products, building and buying products, both for that same customer type. So instead of that customer looking somewhere else to get those needs met, they're being met by that one company. So the question is, where do you want to start? Like, what is the client type that you want to serve first with a single product? And then over time, how can you like bolt on additional products that ideally you buy to continue serving that same customer so that they don't look elsewhere. That's, I think, how you build loyalty over time and you can increase LTV and all these other like business metrics because you just have a lot to offer them. But that's how I think about it. So it's like, who are these people we're trying to serve? And then how can you add on more things to serve them even more, make more money from them? Instead of constantly having to find new customers, you're finding new products for those customers and you own all those products. So that's the angle that I prefer to look at this. That makes total sense. You own the customer and then you're just adding more value to them by giving them other products or services that align with what they care about. Exactly. And if you like the whole Shopify apps angle is that, right? It's like once you develop a relationship with a client and you're serving them with one of your apps, it makes total sense to then acquire more apps to continue serving that large customer base you already have. But yeah, that's the quick summary of that. Very cool. Okay, you have one here, exclusive inventory. What does that mean? So exclusive inventory is, again, very similar to exclusive content behind a paywall, but there's inventory that doesn't exist anywhere else. So think of like the homes that are listed on Airbnb, HipCamp, which is relatively new, which uh, owns land that you could do private land that where you can essentially do camping. Sonder and like there are a few others that are exclusive marketplaces where they have inventory that doesn't exist anywhere else. Now, this one's tricky to be totally honest with you. This is probably the hardest one to do simply because it's just a two-sided marketplace that you have to build up. But the rewards are obviously there because you have a monopoly on that inventory. You can charge accordingly. So that's just something to think about. It's, It's one of the options we should weigh out and see if there's an opportunity there. Very cool. Okay. So those are the roll up ideas. I think another category you've hit on, I'm actually kind of obsessed with is humans replaced by software, right? So, you know, AI, everyone's kind of interested. You've got, I'm going to butcher it, but what is it? The GTM, as far as the, the AI based copywriting, I've been playing with copy AI that we'll get into, which I'm, I think I'm about to use as our main copywriting source for our, our agency. Like what are some examples of this where you're seeing something that's going well? Yeah, so this category is inspired by like Mark Andreessen, like software is eating the world and it's it's been inevitable happening for a very long time. But then now AI is taking like more prominence in that. There are many tasks that are like mundane, done by humans. Many people and companies have to hire specifically for those roles. And actually, if you think of uh, specific tasks and you kind of cut them up into something, a specific task that someone masters, like think of, let me uh, give you an example. So there's design. Design is a massive field. You can't necessarily automate or even use software in design as a whole. But then if you take a thin slice of design and just say like logo design, then you can definitely create software for that. And there are many AI powered logo design tools. And actually that was my, like that's the first tool that I looked at that really gave me insight into the power of like humans being replaced by software driven by AI. So there are many companies, many people that want logos done. Essentially this is a tool that's been built by a company called Luka. 
used to be called LogoJoy, and they've automated that process, make it completely frictionless, giving you a lot of power over what tool outputs, and it's super popular. So there are many ways we can think about like services or needs that are within companies. Copy being a very good example. And actually, if you take copy, like copy for ads, there are many companies and many people, including us actually, that need that specific service. And this tool definitely provides that. I've given you the example, actually, uh, Jim, if you remember, uh, Handwritten, which was the company that was sending out handwritten. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. That's a genius idea. There's a need for it. And they've kind of automated the process and like very sophisticated backend. But there are many services like that. If you actually, I think the probably the best way to find a long list of companies where this could be implemented is just go to Upwork or something like that or Fiverr. What has demand and essentially what tools are being built to automate that. And that would be, I think, the way we should approach that strategy. Yeah. And Copy AI has blown me away with writing ad copy email subject lines, magicflow.io will actually write high converting landing page copy, which are things that literally we do as an agency. I don't know if we should embrace it or be terrified, but I'm actually more excited than anything. Okay. That one, to be honest, is one I'm like, I'm pretty excited about. So the other thing that I struggle with is like, okay, we have a skill set. We work with like 70% of our clients are e-commerce direct to consumer. It's like, okay, is that something that we're interested in and excited about? Because we know pretty well how to design an e-commerce site on Shopify that converts. We know how to do email automation. We know how to drive traffic. The thing we don't like is the margins. We don't want to do inventory management. I think we could find partners to help us with that. But if we were getting into e-commerce, I think you and I are both on the same page. We want something that is high AOV, average order value. We want to own a niche and something that has really good margins. What do you think? I mean, why shouldn't we just go all in on e-commerce or why should we? Because that's literally where we have the most experience. Yeah, e-commerce. I mean, I've spent so much time with e-commerce clients and also just studying the space as a whole that I'm half super excited about it and half like very nervous and like, uh, I don't know how to say, like pessimistic about it. Mostly because like I've seen like extremely, I've seen e-commerce done extremely well. Like think of a Peloton, for example, the way they've designed their funnel, the retention they have with clients. It's not just one-off transactions. Like once you have a membership and you buy that bike, they literally have you forever because you're not going to stop paying a $12 membership once you've already invested $1,000 in a bike. So it's just like I've seen extremely good examples of e-commerce that I think if we were to step into the space, we would have to execute it perfectly. I think one area that I've been really interested in is just this high AOV type e-commerce companies. Take Rogue Fitness, for example. And the reason I've been thinking about them a lot is because of COVID, we all had to work from home and I've had to buy exercise equipment. And I was just looking at just how expensive exercise equipment is as a whole. And once you have like some sort of brand recognition with clients and you own a niche, like you could really make a ton of money in that. But yeah, as you said, like the downside with e-commerce is there are many things that we're not like experienced in, like inventory management, like backend and just like running a business, like you have to deal with customers in that way. But it's there. I think there are definitely some opportunities in the space. Uh, another one that we've looked at in the past is where you charge the money up front. Think of like a Warby Parker, where like once the person books, makes a purchase, you send them the shipment right away and you have their credit card on file and they get to experiment with it. So you're kind of like reducing the friction, the purchase friction by giving them essentially the same experience that they would have if they were 
to walk into a store and try it out themselves. So like, we just really have to think about the user journey. Like how do you build something that's sticky, that has high retention where you're getting the same customers over and over again, something that has high average order value. So like there's just many variables that you really need to explore before you jump into the space. But one thing is for sure, I know a bad way to do e-commerce. So at least we have that covered. That's for sure. And the other thing I think about, like you bring up a good point, you know, there was this interesting article about Gymshark and their cash conversion cycle, where essentially what it means is managing how much you have to invest in inventory versus how you collect money from customers. And they essentially did it in such a way that it was inverted where they're collecting money before they have to get inventory, which makes them this cash machine. And some people were like, you know, why are you doing that to your partners and vendors? Other people like, wow, that's from a balance sheet perspective. That's amazing. And so I do like this thing. If we can take away product management investment in inventory and and taking that risk then it's super interesting and again without being you know a dropship product so that for me is is what i'm interested in and then the second thing you know we've seen some pretty insane success stories in e-commerce and we've seen some flame out and i've come up with this kind of checklist of what you need to be a d2c brand that breaks out and the thing that i think is the most important is having a consumer base you're going after that is proactive, not reactive, have high intent and care. You're solving a problem versus it's a nice to have. And I know that's kind of obvious, but like, so one example, we had a direct consumer brand in men's fashion that made good stuff, but it was just kind of another t-shirt. It was just another nice hoodie, another nice Henley. Take that against a beauty brand that goes after an underserved female audience where they're truly solving a problem around hair growth and it's just night and day and so again it's super obvious like are you creating something that solves a problem but like i'm all about niching down right you know the phrase like the riches are in the niches but that's that's what i want the people that are going to google trying to solve a problem and nobody's listening to them yeah that's what i'm trying to go after i agree 100 like i i know exactly which client you're talking about and <laughs> the problem is you're like trying to force feed the prospects or site visitors and it's just a painful process. But when you are solving that problem, like the product almost sells itself really to be totally honest. So 100% on that. Because we know like we, we can sell our services all day long, but we know in three months, we're either going to have an awesome conversation with the client or a bad conversation with the client. And if they have product market fit, we are heroes and we look like rock stars. If they don't have it and we have to be the saviors, oh man, that is a tough ask of a uh, growth team. Oh yeah, And one other one, like you almost need to back into it. Like what are consumers with high intent where you could build a product around it? Like we have a client in the bridal space that has blown up and gone from idea to seven figures because obviously you're going after bridesmaids and brides, super high intent if you could do something well. We have another one we're talking to that's going after nurses with a product and they're very underserved and that one's blowing up. So it's almost like we need to go through this exercise of like what consumers have been neglected and beaten down that we should come in and be a savior for. But um, I don't know, maybe that's another conversation yeah and actually just a point on like the previous note that you made about that client where like it just wasn't set up for us to necessarily succeed because it's a hard sell it's they're not solving a problem there's like this warren buffett quote that i always remember it's like when management with reputation for excellence tackles like a business with really bad economics it's usually the reputation of the business that remains intact meaning like you can't get <laughs> yeah overcome 
bad economics. Like you just can't make it up. And like we know pretty soon once we start working with clients, whether or not like it's going to succeed or not. Yeah, it's so true. I know. And that one thing we're starting to do even before we take on a client, we're like, we try and measure traction a few different ways, whether it's just sales, you know, NPS talking to customers, because if not, it's hard to be the hero. Okay. So we're actually referencing a list here that you put together. High ticket product niche is that different from e-commerce AOV, that last one you have? It's not e-commerce. This is more services, but services that have been productized. So I think the best example... Pause there real quick because you're hitting on the other thing I'm obsessed with, which is productized services. So what is that exactly? What does that mean? It's essentially a service that is in a box. It's on a shelf, defined scope, says exactly what it does, definitely has to solve a problem for a client, and they're buying the solution in a productized service format, if that makes sense. Uh, This is different is most services are not fixed scope. Essentially, they morph into whatever the client wants and causes a lot of problems for agencies or even like individual freelancers. So this is like a level up. Think of it like as a service and then there's software. The step in between that is a productized service. So what's an example? Who's doing that well? We have what, like 99 designs, design pickle, where it's like fixed scope for four to five designs per month. Who else is doing this well? I forgot the name. I think it was WP Engine or WP something. The people who used to do was, I think, hosting or WordPress site management. Yes, WP Engine. Yeah. Yeah. That company, I think, started with just $100 and a URL. No input into that business. And because he understood a pain point, he created a service that was productized, defined scope. There are obviously a ton of like small WordPress run businesses in the world. And he created the perfect service to target them. I mean, that, that business totally blew up. And there are many... And many services like that. The best part about productized services, like you can really, really niche down. There's an example that I know of a guy who used to build sites for food truck owners. And that was like literally all it did. So if you were a food truck owner and you wanted a website and you saw a page that was literally messaging, we build sites for food truck owners. I mean, it was, it's a no brainer. So instead of finding a website, a developer or a tool to try to come up with a solution for that, this guy literally did it for all food truck owners and he had a booming business. So I think the more you niche down, the better it is. Your messaging is crisper. You're more likely to like speak to the problems that the the client type has. Yeah. So that's a quick few examples of that. So it's like, how do we do that? I think because we could easily do something around ads, around email. I'm a little bit more excited about CRO and fixed test or like, I mean, I'm pretty proud of our landing page and homepage design. We'd almost need to pick a specific niche where we do that for e-commerce shops, for SaaS shops, do like pricing pages only. That's one thing. It's like, what do we do really well? I'm also interested and like, what is the biggest pain in the butt where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have to do that thing. Like an obvious example would be, you know, going to the DMV, renewing a license. Like if we had a service, it's like, and that's probably impossible to like renew someone's license if you have to get a new picture. But like, what are those pain points you could do a service for? I saw this one, it was, it was kind of a productized service, but they get a percent of it. Basically they're like, let us know what startup, your startup information or nonprofit information. We will look for every potential grant you could get and we get 10% of the money we raise for you. And I mean, talk about a no brainer. It's like, 
like, okay, I just sign up and you find free money for you. And then I pay you off of the free money that you got for me, like sold. So those are other things that I'm interested in, but those are very half-baked. Yeah. And actually, if you think about it, we really have a huge advantage in this. One is like, we offer a lot of services to clients. So we already have a lot of experience and skills and like a broad range of marketing skills. So we have that. Another one is we have direct contact with a lot of clients, a lot of business owners. So we understand a lot of pain points. Now, the issue, I think, is like really dumping all those pain points on a spreadsheet, really ranking them by the most painful to like something that just doesn't matter. And then looking at our skill sets that we have as a team and try to match that up. Another thing, another variable to really keep in mind is like how much we charge for the productized service we end up going for. Like I think on one end, I've seen Harmon Brothers, like they just do creatives for big brands or brands after a much called above a specific revenue that I don't have in mind, but they're extremely well known for that. They have brand recognition and they can charge anything they want quite literally because they have the, the results and the number to back it up. And on the other end is like very small, I don't know, like think landing page in a day, which used to be a product I service that I was a designer, you'd build you a landing page. And I don't think he charged more than a few hundred dollars. So you have like the broad spectrum of what you can charge for that service, depending on how important it is. But we should, I think, definitely start by taking inventory of what our clients hate doing that the one thing they want us to take off their plate for them and essentially think of a way where we can charge the most for that. And that's the way I would go about it. I totally agree. And to add one more thing is also what service is also the stickiest? Because one thing that we've realized is, you know, our CRO work is quite impressive. We can also have some very fancy deliverables and fancy designs and get some really impressive ROI where we're literally making clients hundreds of thousands of dollars. But to be honest, the stickiest service is usually something like email marketing, where once we get that, we're with clients for a very long time. So I love that. It's like, what's the biggest pain point and what's something that's very very sticky. If it's a subscription model, you know, then the lifetime value is really good if it's 12, 18 months, whatever it is. You know, one thing I realized about productized services as well is like it really works best when you shrink the scope so much. Like when we say CRO, it's so broad. Like there's so much that goes into CRO. There's on-site testing, tool setup, design, research. So like if we just took a thin slice of that and created a productized service around that, I think it could definitely work. Like if you think of copy AI, for example, earlier, it's copy for like landing pages and things like that and ads. I think it's hard to create a productized service around ads. But you can definitely create a productized service around a very important component of running ads, like creating the creative or the copy or something like that. So I think that's definitely how we should approach it, is taking these large services that we provide for clients and thinking of like a thin sliver of that that could be productized, an important but like uh, essential uh, sliver of that that could be productized, something that they don't want to do, something we could charge a lot for. And as you said, something that's sticky. So yeah, I love the idea of niching down and owning one thing. It's like, we're the headline guys for your landing page, or we're the hero section for your landing page, or we're, you know, we just do pricing pages or even more niche than that. Because the thing that's awesome about when you niche down and own something, like you never have any issues with knowing who your customer is and how to speak to them. And that's the hardest thing. We struggle with that at Growth Head when we're like, oh, are we talking to an e-commerce company or to a SaaS company? Are we talking to a startup or are we talking to an established brand? Because it's totally different language that you want to use for those persona types. 
Agreed. Yeah. Uh, 100%. I don't think I have anything else to add to that. Like you've hit it on that. Oh man. Yeah. I'm also thinking like, what are the productized services I pay for? One that can, comes to mind is, and I think the price is too cheap where I, I'd want us to be at least three figures. I think I pay like 50 bucks a month, maybe 75 for one guy who's kind of our outsource you know, IT guy. And he does all of our updates for the WordPress sites that we have. He will make sure there's never any bugs or issues. And I get one hour of dev work. And it's like, he doesn't do that much. However, the reason why I like it is peace of mind. Because our site went down the other day. And if I didn't have him, I'd be scrambling to find the issue. And I'm not the CTO. If I'm in the code, that's a bad thing. And so I can message him and he, he solves it very quickly. So it's almost like, you know, what is that non-sexy thing that people just need to have that gives that peace of mind? But I don't know. I don't really have an idea attached to it. I'm just thinking of a service yeah. up that we're using. I actually like that you bring up that idea. And the reason is I actually don't agree with it. <laughs> and I, <laughs> the uh, that example kind of, uh, it's dangerous because you could have like an infinite amount of problems, like very different type of problems. And you'd have to be very good at addressing all of them to kind of satisfy that need. But like take, for example, uh, something that's more defined in scope, like we'll increase site speed and that's all you do. And maybe there are like four or five things that go into increasing site speed. That's much easier to productize, much easier to sell as well. The benefits are, are quite obvious. Yeah, I think going back to a previous example, like I think the one that really inspires me is the kind of productized service that you could easily turn into software down the line, if that makes sense. So you're taking the service that we're currently offering, you take a small portion of that, you productize it and offer it as a productized service, clearly defined, it's super valuable to the customers and it's also relatively sticky. And then over time, you begin to automate it or add like software or AI, whatever else to convert it into software. So think of copy, for example, if you were coming up with a copy for ads and that was the productized service it's defined we'll come up with 10 i don't know pieces of copy for your ads in a month and for that we'll charge you i don't know x thousand dollars it's easier once you've started to serve clients once you've built a relationship with them and once quite frankly that you've validated the need for that service to convert it down the road into software something very similar to what copy ai has done yeah i think i like productized services that have a natural like transition into software like at least the option for that to happen if it's just a service where like it's where the scope is broad and like kind of what you described earlier jim hate to hit you back again on that but then it's much harder to get software. So that's how I'm thinking about it. No, I totally agree. Like I like that productized service as the end user because I have this person to do whatever. But if I'm delivering it, I totally agree. It needs to be a defined scope so we can scale it and we don't run into those issues of custom work, which is the killer of a productized service. No, that's awesome, man. Okay, so essentially like we've got all these ideas. One thing we can get into like in, a, in another talk or episode is how we actually actually like prioritize these to figure out where we put our time and energy because time is the most precious valuable and our most precious asset in all of this but um but no man this is awesome anything else you want to hit on uh no i think i've we've hit on all the big categories we want to touch on so i think we're good awesome well great man this was fun awesome jim thank you very much
Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growthit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.